Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. Everyone and welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. We are now in 1 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6. We're combining those because both of them are fairly short chapters and they kind of go together. In our last chapter 4, Paul challenged us about God's judgment and that he alone is the only one who validates us. Paul put the Corinthians on notice regarding the dangers of pride and now Here in chapters 5 and 6, we're going to take a look at sexual immorality and about lawsuits among believers. So we've got this set up in two different divisions. One, teachings on immorality, that's chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, we start looking at teachings on lawsuits and sexual purity. So let's jump right in there in chapter 5, verse 1. Paul begins with, Now it is actually being said that there is sexual immorality among you so terrible that even the heathen would be guilty of it. I am told that a man is sleeping with his stepmother. So Paul comes right out of the bat. He is angry and he is saying, this is not okay. There's a lot going on. And so what's important to know is that the Greek word for sexual immorality is pornea. That's where we get the word porn from. So that is specifically any sex outside of marriage, including homosexuality. The Greek culture basically held that prostitution was acceptable. Paul, however, was emphatically reminding the Christians that now as believers, this would never be acceptable. And specifically, the implication is that of a man sleeping with his stepmother. And this was considered to be egregious, even to those outside of the Christian faith. And we know from Scripture in Leviticus 18.8, Deuteronomy 22.30, and 27.20, what God says about these types of relationships and how they were prohibited. And I encourage you to you know, do your own homework, and then you need to know what the Bible says about these different types of behaviors. Verse 2, how then can you be proud? On the contrary, you should be filled with sadness, and the man who has done such a thing should be expelled from your fellowship. But Paul is again addressing the problem of pride, just like we talked about in chapter 4. He is admonishing them that instead of being remorseful, here they were gloating. And it shows a true condition of the heart. And this was very concerning to Paul. So then in verses 3 through 5, he goes on that saying, even though he's far away from the body, he's still with them in spirit. And it was as he was with them, he has said in the name of Jesus that Jesus has already passed judgment on the man who has done this terrible thing. And as you meet together, I meet with you in spirit by the power of the Lord Jesus present with us to hand over this man to Satan 
for his body to be destroyed so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So kind of a complicated set of verses there. But Paul is obviously no longer physically present in Corinth. He's writing them this letter. And he is reminding them, however, that he was in spirit with them. And it may appear to be contradictory to what we learned last week, that only the Lord is to judge. But what Paul is saying here is, hey, this situation is so urgent that it demands action on the part of the church, and it cannot be tolerated. It was not a topic that was even to be debated. So while we as Christians are not to judge one another's motives or ministries, we are expected to be honest about one another's conduct. So what he also means is handing this person over to Satan is talking about those who are outside of the church, the world, because they are open game for Satan. They belong to the world. Therefore, they're not protected by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Paul is still hopeful that this man's spirit may still have a chance. And I love that about Paul. It's such a great reminder that we should never give up on anyone, and we must pray for the lost. We can't give up on those who fall from God. There may be a sliver of hope. Verses 6 through 8, your boasting is not good. Don't you know a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may have a new unleavened batch. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us keep the festival not with old leavened bread that's leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul goes back to the reminder of the boasting and the root of sin as in these Corinthian people in this church. And of course, that's a message to us as well. And his point regarding the analogy of a little bit of yeast leavens the whole batch is helping them to recognize that even a little sin in any church will affect the entire church. So the people in those days were very familiar with the way bread was made from a starter from the original dough. And it took just a little of the original dough to help the new batch rise up. So Paul then refers to Christ as the Passover lamb that was sacrificed to remind them to keep this festival, this Passover feast, clean, out of sin. The old bread laced with sin had to be gone, but to remain in and with the new batch, the new covenant, the new living bread of Christ. And it's a reminder to each of us that we need to search out our hearts and our lives to remove any sinful behavior or thoughts, as even the tiniest bits can infect our entire body. We've got to continuously ask the Lord to help us recognize and remove anything that's not serving Him. Psalm 139, 23-24 reminds us, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So in verses 9 through 11, he tells them, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all, 
meaning the people of this world, who are immoral, greedy, swindlers, idolaters. In this case, you would have to leave the world. But I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister. That means a Christian who is sexually immoral, greedy, idolatrous, slanderous, drunkenness, swindler, don't even eat with them. Specifically, Paul is saying to the church, he's already warned them of the dangers of these behaviors. And what he is talking about specifically are those who are claiming to be Christians. He further clarifies that he's not talking about the people of this world because they're going to do what they want to do. They're out of the confines of the church. His concerns are for those who call themselves Christians. And so he names these six specific behaviors that he's warning about. So here they are, the sexually immoral. We've already said the Greek word pornea means any type of illicit sexual or unnatural behavior. Greed. This is a state of spiritual disease of the heart. And the dictionary defines it as an intense, selfish desire for something. Idolatry. That is an extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone. And in the Bible, this refers to the worship of someone or something other than God. So anything you put ahead of God is idolatry. Slander is making false spoken statements that are damaging to a person's reputation. And again, as believers, we should refrain from this damaging behavior. We should check our words when it comes to anything that's untruthful or you don't know for sure that would damage another Christian's character or reputation. Drunkenness. And of course, that refers to intoxication. And we can get drunk off of other things other than alcoholic beverages. We can be drunk on power, on worshiping the worship leader or the singer rather than on God. We can become intoxicated with things that are damaging to us. And then the sixth behavior is swindlers. And that's making a false spoken statement that's taking somebody's character away from them, stealing their character, or perhaps even stealing their property. Swindling can have a lot of meanings as well. So Paul finalizes these warnings by telling them, don't even eat with them, because in those days, eating with others was a sign of friendship. And he was telling them, avoid them at all circumstances. He isn't telling them to not pray for them, but he's warning them to stay away. Because you guys, if somebody is still in their unrepentant ways of behavior, That is not where you need to be. If they're repentant and they're coming to you for help, that's a different circumstance. So evil and wrongful behaviors demonstrate people who are not choosing to act in a manner which doesn't reflect Christ. Verses 12 and 13. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Paul asks. Are you not to judge those inside? Because God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So he completes this chapter 5 that he is specifically talking about judgment of our own fellow believers. And he reminds us that God judges those outside the church. It's not our job. 
but in our own fellowship of believers, we are to root out this type of behavior. It will tear apart a church. And more importantly, the unchecked behavior affects the entire body of believers and hurts our Christian testimonies. So a firm reminder for all of us as believers to walk the walk and talk the talk, to build up the body rather than tear it down. Your truth bomb for this section, believers are held to a higher standard than the world. And your call to action, how is your life reflecting a life that is pleasing to God and to the body of Christ? Your second division here is chapter 6, and that is teachings on lawsuits and sexual purity. Verses 1 and 2. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? That's a key word right there, trivial. Paul starts off this chapter with a stern statement, basically saying, do you dare? And it shows his utter displeasure with the behavior that he was hearing about the Corinthian church taking their trivial disputes to others outside of the church. It just makes everyone look really bad. So as believers, we are under the judgment of God and the guidelines he has set forth for us in his laws. Those who are outside of God's laws, they don't care about his laws. And so they're going to judge differently. So what Paul saying is, hey, if it's a trivial civil matter, let's keep it in the church. Verses three through four, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? And so interesting, interesting verse here about judgment of angels. I find it quite interesting. And what this means is we are held in the highest regard in heaven. We are going to have the authority to take part in the judgment of angels. And more specifically, we're talking about those angels who have fallen from grace. The angels who fell and have committed evil upon mankind and the earth. And it's an interesting thought and helps us to understand all the more why Satan hates believers so much. He knows that we will be there to judge him and his fallen angels someday. Wow, what a thought. I never had put that together. Next, Paul brings them back to the reality of the issue allowing disputes between believers to be dragged through secular courts. This behavior allows those who are not under God's direction to make judgments on them. And so to clarify a bit further, there's no indication here that Paul is discussing criminal behavior, but he's talking about civil suits. Criminal behavior most definitely needs to be dealt by the legal system of the laws of any specific land or area. Remember, he used the word trivial. Verses 5 through 6. I say this to shame you. It is possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers. So 
Paul's pretty fed up with them. You can tell he keeps hammering this over and over. It's a very important topic that he knew he needed to make. Keep church matters within the church. And this is to not allow the world to use these matters against believers and to tarnish the reputation of the church. It's a very important message for all of us. Verses 7 through 8. The very fact that you have lawsuits means you have been completely defeated. Why not be wronged? Why not be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Again, he's hammering to the Corinthians because this issue must have been out of control. How could Paul continue to try and build up this church when all they were doing was tearing it down from within? And have you ever seen someone so obsessed with a wrong or thinking that they've been wronged that they end up destroying themselves over the topic? And this is what Paul is warning. Sometimes as believers, we have to let the little things go in order to keep our eyes on the big picture. Verses 9 and 10. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, or men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He's just putting it out there. He's reminding us that as believers, we are the ones who are victorious because we will be in heaven someday. And he's telling us to keep our eye on the prize, not to get caught up in the worldly things because they simply don't matter in the long run and that God will be handling those people. Verse 11, and what is it that some of you were? You were washed, you were sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. A beautiful reminder that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul wrote in Romans 3.23. But because of the sacrifice of Christ, we are redeemed and saved. Verses 12 and 13, he goes into the verses about people saying, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to put whatever food I want in my body. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And so Paul warns that we should not allow ourselves as believers to fall into the sin of legalism. And the New Testament or the New Covenant, when Christ came, and removed the old ways of sacrificing, and they were very specific on what you were to eat or not eat, and then other behaviors that became so extreme were removed when Christ took to the cross. Many during those times and still today cling to legalistic rules that end up hurting the entire body of the church. And what Paul is saying here is we cannot get caught up in the things that have been deemed to be trivial, like what you're to eat or not eat, and to focus on the real issues of sin and of sexual immorality. Verses 14 through 17, and now Paul is saying, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? No. Do you know 
that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So Paul continues to teach the importance of keeping oneself physically and spiritually pure because carnal behavior destroys our spiritual connection to Christ because it says we are united with Christ. And remember, Christ cannot indwell in an unclean vessel. You will lose that power of the Holy Spirit when you start allowing these behaviors into your life. You're not going to lose your salvation, but you certainly can lose that power of the Holy Spirit because the two cannot cohabit the same body. And so it's a great reminder to repent our sins daily and to allow ourselves to be cleansed spiritually. Verse 18, he says, flee, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside the body, but whoever sins sexually against their own body. And his advice is to run, not walk from any kind of sexual temptation or sins. He is specific that sexual sin affects a believer's very unity with Christ that we just spoke about, because this is a unique and beautiful relationship that we have with Christ that is not to be tainted by immoral or sexual behavior. Verses 19 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought for a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And again, Paul is reminding us our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us as believers. And the temple in those days was the most sacred place for believers. They took great care of every aspect of the temple. And Paul's not just talking about the pollution of sexual purity. He's also talking about every aspect of our temple. God needs us, his people, to do the work for his kingdom. And how can we be warriors for Christ if we continue to misuse, mistreat, or misfeed the temple we call our body? So your truth bomb, as believers in Christ, we have a duty and a responsibility to live differently than the world. And your call to action, as you live your life, How would you assess how you look to the outside world? Are there areas of your life that you need to clean up? Your language, your action, and your behaviors. So in summary, these are two tough chapters. But Paul is very clear regarding how we as Christians are to live. We simply cannot try to live our lives in an undercover manner. We are called to live differently and to look differently than the world. And as we strive to do this, we've got to do it in a spirit of humility that we were reminded in in chapter 4. The danger that many Christians face as we begin living this life for Christ is that some start to believe that they're better than anyone who's outside of Christ, and they become so pious and so puffed up, and that is not a good look for us. So when we get puffed up, we're going to blow up. So are you living out loud for Christ? Do others see him in you? 
And are you completely sold out to him that you are willing to be different, to be bold in your Christian walk, and to take heat from the pressures of those outside of his will? Stand strong, my friends. Lean into Christ and lean into one another. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast, and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode.